Hey everybody, this is Eddie Darcy's. We're here with another episode and we have a great guest today. We have a great guest and his name is Henry DeVries. He has an MBA. He is a weekly business development columnist with Forbes.com and the CEO of Indie Book International. So those are my words. We're going to have Andy talk about and we talk about his, uh, his work, his journey. So before we start with this podcast, let's um, shout out our sponsor, Itco. Itco, if you want to look great, you want to shed some pounds, you're going to work for the summer. Itco it should be the location. If you're in Massachusetts, definitely go Itco. They have two locations, one in Braintree and Burlington. Now is the time to hop into the hottest 45-minute group fitness class around. Give us a try absolutely free with our free three-day pass. Get a great workout and have fun at the same time. Whether an athlete or someone looking to shed a few pounds, hit core workouts, keep you motivated, and part of an awesome community all in under 45 minutes. See you at the gym. Yes, uh, we have another sponsor. So this is Darcy Facility Management. If you're looking for your properties, so you need a facility manager, you need a project manager, you need a cleaner, you need a vendor management services, you should call them now, 617-237-0106 or go online at www.darcysfm.com. Do you want to maximize the value of your commercial property and achieve optimal productivity and efficiency in your day-to-day business operations? That's where Dacius Facilities Management can help. DFM offers Boston area businesses help in key areas like building and preventive maintenance, handyman services, project and vendor management, and even security consulting at competitive rates. Call Dacius Facilities Management now at 617-237-0106 or visit DaciusFM.com today. Henry DeVries is our guest today. He publishes an author of 17 books, including marketing with a book for agency owners. Wow. That's a great legacy so far. So we have Henry with us. Henry, how are you doing today? Henry, I'm super good to be with your audience and help them get a little glimpse into how they can find right fit clients by marketing with a book and a speech. Wow. And that's great to hear because that's what this podcast is about going into your journey and your life purpose. So before we get into that conversation, let's go with uh, the intro with Divine Purpose Podcast. Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. to let you know a little bit about Henry. So since 2010, he has ghostwriting, co-authored and published more than 300 business books. 
Wow. Anyway, what can you tell us about you today? I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me to talk about marketing with a book and a speech. It, it, it really comes down to that purpose and, and what is anybody's purpose. Uh, and I, I meet with a lot of people to help them with their purpose. Um, we all have different faiths and I respect that. And uh, I'm in California. And when I'm in California, I have to talk a lot about the universe. Yeah. The universe manifests and the universe rewards activity. Um, in other circles, I can say God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. And one of the things is on your purpose, why are we on this planet? I read a great book by a rabbi and it was about the business secrets from the Bible. And his first secret was, um, your purpose is to help God's other children. And you're to mm. specialize in something and to help God's other children through your specialization. And God designs the world in this way. That is my belief. He designed it in that way and that it works much better if we're all helping each other with what is our gift and our special purpose. Wow. What a great introduction. <laughs> That's what we should expect from, from a uh, book author, right? So let's go another um, direction. So you wrote a lot of books. You um, ghost write, writing a lot of books. Which which of your accomplishments you the proudest? Oh, wow. You mean which book am I the proudest of? Because, Eddie, I have to tell you, my books are like my children and like my mm. children i expect them to take care of me in my old age yeah <laughs> oh, i love them uh, there's certain ones uh i particularly drawn to my international bestseller is uh, how to close a deal like warren buffett yeah uh, in you know five languages now in chinese so that's a great book it's helped a lot of people um my most recent book i'm very excited about is marketing with a book for agency owners yes and, and i say agency owners it also helps people who are strategic consultants or business coaches or who have a high-end service and it teaches them how to be an authority yeah and i always say you can't spell authority without the word author yeah you have to author these thoughts that are to help other people it's not about you stories you tell might help them to understand or remember but it's about helping them get what they want in life um there there was a, an author that uh, i he's he's passed on now i was a big fan and uh and he was a spiritual man his name was zig ziglar and he had a saying that is also one of my mottos in life it's you can get whatever you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Wow. You, you should say it again. <laughs> you can get whatever you want in life. If you just get, I'm sorry, I blew it. Let me try it again. You can get whatever you want in life. If you just help enough other people cool. get what they want. Wow. So let's, let's go back to your early age. How was Henry growing up? Oh, boy. Um, so uh, <laughs> I was in junior high, and I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Not many 
junior high school students can say that. And I wanted to write and speak. And really speaking is just uh, reading what you've written aloud. So I wanted to make a living doing those two things. So um, in high school, at the age of 15, I uh, landed a job as a writer for the local community newspaper. So I've been a paid okay. writer for over 50 years now, and I've continued that, that I've always been wow, having. Wow, congrats, congrats. Thank you. There's always some journalism side hack uh, to what I do. And I wanted to find that career where I get to be a writer. When um, I met the woman who had become my wife and we had that discussion, I said, you get one thing in life. So if we get married, what is the one thing you want? And I'll tell you the one thing I want. And she said, I want to be a mother. And mm. she said, I want to be a good mother. And I said, okay, anything where that comes down, you get an automatic yes for the entire marriage. I want to be a writer. That's wow. what my core is. I, I want to uh, get ideas in print that help people. And she said, if it's ever about you being a writer, you get an automatic yes. And we've been married for 43 years and we've had a lot of automatic yeses. And were all of them good decisions? No, but that didn't matter. Yeah. It was we embraced what the person wanted and we went in that direction. So any any thought on uh, maybe you can share with us your favorite childhood memories? Oh, uh, I had a great childhood. I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, I went to work at the age of six. At the age of six, I was to report to work. And um, so I'm a six-year-old boy, 7 a.m., this huge cow barn. It's long. And through the week, all this crud uh, gets accumulated on the barn. Yeah. And my, my father had a bucket of hot sudsy water, gloves, and, a, and an iron brush. And he said, um, uh, he gave me my first HR orientation. I didn't know until I gave his eulogy 50 years later, that would be the best HR orientation I ever had in my entire life. Uh, but he said, okay, Henry, I have to explain your job. Every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., you're to report to the dairy barn. Mm. Now, through the week, a lot of crud from the cows build up on the walls. Now, there's somebody called the government inspector. The government inspector comes every week and he measures something. There, it's invisible, but he yeah. measures something called germs. And if there are too many germs in our barn, he takes our milk, opens up the uh, the big tank and pours all the milk out into the street, into the gutter, and it goes into the sewer. We don't get to sell the milk, so we get no money. And so we have no money for food that week. Do you mm. understand? Well, I understood that the, the, the villain of the story was the government inspector. <laughs> and I, I like to eat, Eddie, so I understood like no money for food. And I, he says, now, here's your job. You're going to clean this barn with this hot water and this scrub butter. Scrub yeah. Butter. yeah. And, and, but you have to do it in a certain way. I said, how do I do it? And he goes, okay, you turn your back. So your back is toward the whole barn. And the, the barn was like a hundred you know, feet. Yeah. And he said, turn your back at it. And I just want you to take one step backwards. So you see about one foot 
of the dirty wall. You take the scrub brush and you clean it. You clean it until you can admire it and admire how clean it is. And then you take another step backwards. And you keep <laughs> doing that and just focus on what you've made clean. And before you know it, your, your bum is going to hit the back of the wall. You're going to be done. Uh, we're going to go home. I'm going to make you your favorite breakfast, which is uh, was fried eggs, fried potatoes, bacon. He said, then we're going to sit down and for an hour, we're going to watch cartoons, the Bugs Bunny uh, cartoon show for an hour. Yeah. And then he said, now, if you do it the other way, I have to warn you. And, and Eddie, I have to quote a Dutch dairy farmer. These are, you know, people of the earth. So I'm going to quote him directly here. Yeah. He said, if you turn around and face forward and you look at all the shit that's ahead of you, you're going to get discouraged and it's going to take forever. <laughs> I'm telling that story wow. 50 years later at his uh, giving his eulogy. Yeah. And it hits me. This man did not need a six-year-old to help run his business. He was teaching a six-year-old how to run a business. Yes. Wow. And, and my whole life, there's been a lot of crud that's been in my way in the last, uh, you know, 40-some years of a career. And I always think, okay, just what's the first thing I got to do? What step do I have to take? What's the next step? What's the next step? And I mean, I've had some rough things. Uh, I had the IRS auditing chief and the federal prosecutor yeah. speak to me to say, Mr. DeVries, we think you've been a victim. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, let, we'd like you to read a 42 page indictment we're filing against your tax attorney and CPA. Um, they cheated the government out of 14 million and they've cheated clients like you out of a lot of money. And so I read this and it was, it was horrifying. And uh, But I just thought, okay, how do I get out of this? Um, one step at a time. Um, I negotiated, they said, because we don't think you were part of the conspiracy, um, we're going to go light on you. We're only going to charge you $75,000. Wow. <laughs> $75,000. Also, I found out a lot of my money I didn't have because they had um, they cheated me out of you know my money, too. So, so to hear that. Yeah. Well, but, but here's the cow barn secret I learned from my dad. You know, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And um, so... I negotiated a payment plan with them. I started putting on small scale seminars in San Diego and Orange County. I, I had people come in and I said, what are your problems in your business? They would tell me. And I said, oh, can we have a conversation about that? We had a conversation. They hired me. I paid the 75,000 off. Uh, through doing these small scale seminars and helping people. And what came up in a lot of them is we really want a book to grow our business, but we don't know how to write a book. And you've written books. And that's how I started ghostwriting books. And nine years ago, I quit my career appointment as the associate uh, assistant dean for continuing education at the University of California, San Diego. Okay. I convinced my wife to retire from the university. We were 56 and 55 at the time. Um, they actually, they made me uh, sort of take a mental test to make sure I hadn't had a nervous breakdown because I was given <laughs> a six-figure lifetime job. It was like tenure. Wow. But and my wife was well-made too. And we said, no, we're, we're going to form this business where we help 
agency owners and strategic consultants and business coaches get their books published because okay. even, even if we write them, it's frustrating. It's hard to get them published. So that's that's my story uh, where we came today to have the ninth anniversary of Indie Books International this month. So and this is great to hear because, like I said, that's what make it interesting where you took us to this journey. But let's talk about challenges, because you had to make a decision on leaving like a full time job to start a business. Can you share two challenges event in your life and how did they challenge you? Well, one of the challenges in my life is I'd come to the university and my title was assistant dean. I was really chief marketing officer for the continuing education department. And that does not get money from the state um, or from the federal government. It's it's basically a business that's run within the university to educate adults. Yeah. And it was at 22 million when I arrived and it was at 45 million, you know, this uh, seven years later. But I had to go into the dean and said, you know, I love what we do here. I love our work. I love that we're helping all these adults. But for some reason, I love these agency owners and strategic consultants more. And what they do is noble. I found that they do noble work. They help people and they need help to do more of this noble work that they're called and compelled to do. And that's my purpose for the rest of my life is to help them get their ideas in print and get them to speak to people about these ideas so that they can help more people get what they want. Let me ask you this. Um, what, what was the process to kind of realize this is what you needed to do? Like, can you take oh, us to that process? Sure. So uh, the, the process was I was in a mastermind group of 20 business owners and a, a man who I had been a speaking partner with, we would put on workshops together around the country. His name is Mark LeBlanc, and uh, he's written an underground bestseller called Growing Your Business. And it was his mastermind that he put together. And he had 20 business owners. We met every year. And on the the first day of this uh, weekend retreat, he said, so would you recount your goals that we set last year and and what goals did you reach and which ones did you not reach? And of the 20 people, I'm the only person who even remembered their goals and had written them down to bring. But but Mark said, well, you know, uh, maybe you didn't write them down. Anybody just off the top of your head, what was one of your goals? These were high achieving business owners, people making $100,000 to $400,000 a year. None of them could remember their goal from a year ago. And Mark got, uh, you know, I know him. He wasn't irate, but I could tell that he was bothered. He said, okay, we're going to stop here Friday afternoon. Um, Tonight, I want you to write down your lighthouse goals, the 10 things you want to accomplish in the next 10 years. Mm. Come here in the morning and you talk about it. So I had a hard time sleeping that night because I thought, I'm I'm 55, you know, retired yeah. at age is 65. That's game over for most people. Yeah. 
Um, you, you know, I'm hearing news stories all every day about somebody younger than me passing away. Yeah. Like, okay, this isn't good. It's uh, it's like in uh, I'm a soccer fan or you know football around the world. Uh, they have that thing really? time injury time where the game it's 90 minutes and it's it's, it's not over. It's like additional well, time, right? The referees have added up some additional time. When will the yeah. game end? We don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I'm in additional time right now. We don't know when the game ends. So I put together a list of these 10 things. And I realized if I stayed at the university, I would not be able to accomplish the 10 things on that list. And we came into the meeting in the morning and and Mark went around to ask everybody, so how are you feeling today? And Henry, how are you feeling? I said, I'm a calm and peaceful person. Well, this was a little different than everybody else in the group. He says, why are you a calm and peaceful person? I said, because I know what I'm going to do for the next 10 years. Wow. And I have to quit this university job. I have to talk my wife into quitting her job. We have to start up the business we used to have years ago. And um, we need to do all these things. So that night, um, the retreat was at a hotel, but I drove home to see my wife. And I said, um, after the retreat tomorrow, I'm going to have a couple hours in the afternoon. Then I have to go out of town to give a speech. Um, Could we have a two-hour board meeting? So a board meeting is our code for major decisions in our life. And she was cleaning up uh, after the pets at that moment. (laughs) She goes, "Uh, okay, do you know you had already asked me for a one-hour board meeting for tomorrow, and now you've asked for a two-hour <laughs> board meeting? So, so she said, so what's on your mind? And I said, well, you're cleaning up after the pets now. I don't want to. She goes, no, if my life is changing dramatically, I want to know about no, it right now. now. Yeah. We sat down on two chairs, and I started by saying, remember how we said when we would be 55 – we would retire and we would do all these things on the list of things we wanted to do. And I, I mentioned some things and she says, Oh, I remember very well. And I said, well, if we keep on our path right now, we will not do these things. So I'm proposing I retire, you retire, we ramp up the business and we do these things on the list in the next 10 years. And Vicki had a counter proposal. She said, make it, we do these things in five years and you've got a deal. And that mm. was the So um, Eddie, uh, to, to, uh, it, it, in the five years, we did most of the things on the list. We're still seeing okay. out a couple, but we spent two weeks in the UK tracing down her ancestors. Then two weeks we spent in Ireland and then two weeks in Italy, that side of her family. And okay. then, uh, you know, Paris, um, I, I leave to uh, tomorrow to take her for two weeks in the Netherlands where my family's from, where I took her when we were just married and I took her and my baby, you know, 13 month old baby to see the relatives in the Netherlands. Um, now I'm taking her back um, to see 8 million tulips in bloom. And uh, <laughs> not that, 
you know, it's we, we don't have to uh, we don't have to eat all the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches we did like on the first trip. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. we got a little more now. Um, I just had a friend uh, with me someplace and we were both talking about Yosemite and how beautiful Yosemite is. And uh, we had graduated college together back in uh well, 1979. And wow. now he's the head of this big prestigious law firm. And we were, we were watching a golf tournament together and he said, Oh, I want to go. Sally and I want to go to Yosemite next year. I said, Oh, Yosemite is one of my 10 favorite places. I try to get there every year. Vicki and I honeymooned in Yosemite. Wow. And this man said, um, Steve said, Oh, did you stay at the Iwani Hotel? The Iwani Hotel is the fancy luxury resort. Uh, okay. you know, rooms are five hundred to a thousand dollars a night now. Yeah. Uh, and he said, "Did you stay there on your honeymoon?" And I just, I did. I just kind of smiled and looked at him and didn't say anything for 10, 15 seconds. And he said, "Oh." I remember now we were poor then. I said, yes, dude, we were poor. <laughs> we, but, we stayed at, you know, we stayed at the cheapest uh, tent cabin they had. Yeah. Uh, you know, we debated whether we should have a salad with our dinner or not. <laughs> you know, should we so, take that let, money for something else? Let uh, me ask you this now. <laughs> let me ask you this because this is a good note in terms of um, where, where, what you're talking about. So which... What... So is that one thing you wish you knew before? Because technically you have two careers, right? So can you give us for both? Because you have two careers. So some well, people only have one. So now you have your, your after oh, and, and retirement. I've been president life. of a, somebody else's big advertising and PR agency, uh, PR agency. I've owned my own advertising and PR agency. I've worked corporate. I've had the corporate jobs. I've done that. Um, what I wished I knew earlier was that um, to not have the fear about what I wanted to do. It, it, it didn't come when I was in college and it didn't come in my first career. I was always afraid, uh, oh, if I lose my job, how am I going to support my family? My prime directive, well, for me, but also because I made this agreement, being a mother meant she wanted a family and a family that was going to be secure. Um, you know, I wanted more of this writing adventure. Uh, so I was always having jobs that um, would pay to have a family in, in an expensive place like San Diego. Um, but there was always this little fear. Um, but then what I learned is, um, you know, if you put your mind to it and have a goal, you can do it. Uh, when I was first uh, married, I, I my second job, you know, that second job you had was with San Diego Magazine. And I was writing magazine articles for them while I was working in a PR agency during the day. And the editor said, so what's your goal? What's your dream? First, they said, this is a humble brag, I guess, but she said, okay, why aren't you in New York City and not here in San Diego? Because you have the talent to write, you know, for anybody in New York City. Yeah. And I said, well, for one, I don't want to raise my family in New York City. I want to raise my family here in California and, you know, be close to my family and all that. I said, though, you know, being in New York excites me. And she said, well, you're smart enough to figure out how to get somebody else to pay for you to go to New York. 
And I did. And I went to New York and met with publications and editors and did all sorts of things as a side hustle for 20 years on someone else's dime. And then when I was starting my agency and and helping these people, there was this common thread that all of these people who were the big names in the field had all been to the Harvard Business School. Yeah. And, you know, I I graduated from the University of California at San Diego. I had an MBA uh, from San Diego State University, you know, no slouches, but not Ivy League. And so I got into the Harvard Business School through the back door. Okay. Okay. Let me let me hear it. <laughs> you say you got into the back door. So you, you got to spill the beans, Henry. Oh, okay. Let me spill the beans how I got in the back door. And it's useful to other people. Um, so my mom, the New York waitress, used to always say, if you don't ask, you don't get So the Harvard Business School had a program for the leaders of the biggest uh, professional service firms in the world. And they were only taking 90 people into this program. And you had to be a leader of one of these big firms. I'm a solo person here. Yeah. So um, my entrance exam began with, based on your entrance criteria, you should definitely not admit me to the Harvard Business School. I would like you to make a new decision based on the following information. Not everyone who needs what you teach can afford or qualify to attend your program. If you admit me, I will be a missionary for what you teach. And I will share this information with all of these people who need the knowledge. I hear nothing from Harvard, nothing at all. So I think, (laughs) well, you know, know, nothing ventured, nothing game so yeah and then um i get a call one day from the registrar at the harvard business school and they said mr devries we're confused here at harvard and i said what's what's confusing harvard (laughs) based on the passion of your entrance exam we don't know why you didn't accept our offer of admittance to the harvard business school did you know, Eddie, that 2% of the mail gets lost every year? The U.S. Postal yes, Service is yes. proud that they only lose 2% of the mail. Well, my acceptance letter was part of the 2% oh, boy. that year. And she said, never wow. got the letter. Never got it. She goes, well, no problem. Uh, we held a spot for you. It starts in three weeks. We just need your uh, a registered check for $9,000 yeah. for the week. I didn't have $9,000. And I thought, where am I going to get $9,000? So this is knowledge. Yeah, I had to have the knowledge where to get $9,000. And I go, one, uh, savings. No, wipe that out to start the business. Two, retirement account. Wipe that out to start the business. Loan from insurance. Wipe that out to start the business. A loan from family and friends. They're all poor. Uh, that's not going to work. Money from a client. And I go like, wait. I <laughs> said, I get it from a client. There's a client I used to have. He's bought this new pest control company. I know he's struggling. I called him up and said, you know, I know you're struggling with the new pest control company. Um, I can double revenues in under six months for you. Mm. Wow. Um, How much would that cost? I said, $9,000. I need a check this week. And then I'll begin when I get back uh, in three weeks from the Harvard Business School. So he said, would you like me to drive it over or could you come pick up the check? So pay the school, get in, 
I'm with all these top people and they're yeah. kind of like, Ooh, and you're a person of one. And they, they you know, so I became pretty special. <laughs> and, I, and I talked to the admissions people because I was wondering, like, yeah. is it just, you know, I was the 90th person to apply. And if I had 9,000, they would, you know, sell me the spot. Yeah. And I found out, no, they turned down hundreds of people. They said, yes. both self-select, not, not many people like you would even bother to apply. Yeah. Uh, but we, we got you but, in. Oh, so by the you, way, I doubled his revenues in under six months. I taught his sleepy pest control company how to be a leader in in, in, in the industry. So what was your time in Cambridge? Oh, uh, I spent two weeks there. Um, yeah. So at the executive education program, um, I think their model is the U.S. Marine Corps because you you get until about 7 a.m., you know, from midnight to 7 a.m. is your time. Yeah. <laughs> at 7 a.m., you're having breakfast and meetings. You're in class at 8. Uh, you you eat with the, your cohorts for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then after dinner, you work on projects and programs until you collapse at about midnight. They told us, you're not going to go to any restaurants or see bosses. <laughs> see, you're not, you're uh, not here to see, to, to set scene, right? No, no, no. And uh, uh, the other program uh, that I was in was managing uh, social enterprises. So a lot of my work was helping nonprofits manage themselves, 501 yeah. companies. And I had worked in corporate in that. And uh, so that was pretty intense. But um, at the, 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 the guest speakers at the Harvard Business School, because I, I taught at the University of California, San Diego. But yeah. Uh, so my professor says, oh, uh, the Secretary of Commerce is coming in today, Henry. Um, and I said, mm. the Secretary of Commerce of what? And he said, why, the Secretary of Commerce of the United States? States. <laughs> he said, you invited him? He goes, no, he asked if he could come meet with the people in the course. Oh. Wow. So um, another, the social enterprise one, we're, we were going to have a discussion about um, uh, civil rights and uh, before Black Lives Matter, but that's what it was yeah. about. And these things and this nature and um I was looking at somebody in the class. He wasn't part of the the students, but I got like, God, he looks familiar. And uh, the professor says, oh, um, Andrew Young, the chair of the NAACP, I asked him to stop by in case you had any questions you wanted to ask or clarify as we do the work today. Wow. <laughs> oh, there's a guest speaker. And uh, I asked the professor, I said, how'd you get him? to come and this is like, what do you have to pay? And he goes, Oh, uh, I'd done a favor for him. So uh, I didn't have to pay anything. I just asked and he flew in. I thought, okay, there's a business model where uh, the only one I know like it is, uh, uh, is famous for the line. We're going to do some favors for you. And one day, and then this day may never come, but a favor may be asked. <laughs> and if it's power, you must grant it. Is it, so, is it Grandfather? No? Yeah. yeah is it Godfather? Godfather? Yes. Yeah, Godfather. Yeah, Godfather. Similar business model at the Harvard Business School. Wow. I love you saying that. No, Henry, this is great, man. Um, you, we even passed our break. That's how much I really enjoy this. So let's go to break and we'll be we'll be back with Henry D. Freeze. Now is the time to hop into the hottest 45-minute group fitness class around. Give us a try absolutely free with our free three-day pass. 
get a great workout and have fun at the same time. Whether an athlete or someone looking to shed a few pounds, hit core workouts, keep you motivated and part of an awesome community all in under 45 minutes. See you at the gym. What comes before making a smart decision? Choices. A smart choice is the best option, which is who we are. That's why our clients expect more from us and, in return, get more in everything we do. We understand the problem. That's why we thrive for excellence. We don't just create a winning culture. We aspire to be a smart choice, a voice for solutions. We believe in integrity, professionalism, and teamwork. Our passion is to bring results from our clients by working harder, smarter, and faster. As a team, we always deliver because we recognize your needs. Choosing smart influences us to be the best version of ourselves. That makes us different than other companies. It makes us confident in achieving our goals. It makes us who we are. And it makes us DFM, the smart choice. All right, we're back with uh, Divine Purpose Podcast, and we have our guest, Henry, today. So, Henry, like we were going into this great conversation, let me ask you this question. What do people misunderstand about you most? Oh, thanks. Um, and, and before I answer what people misunderstand about me most, can I give a shout out to uh, one of your sponsors there? Um, one of the things on my 10 year list was to lose 100 pounds. And part of the key was to get into a group fitness program. Nobody ever accomplishes something great alone. And we need encouragement and support. So I really um, uh, I love listening to those commercials about what they stand for in the work that they do and helping people like me get what we want in life. Okay, what people misunderstand about me um, is that my brand is generosity and that I'm very generous in giving away. I give away free books. I give away free information. I've got a free newsletter. I've got my yeah. class that I charge for. I comp people into the class all the time. And what they misunderstand is they're going like, what's the angle? Uh, what does he, you know, what's he trying to do? And one of my uh, clients figured it out. She sent me um, a, a, a scripture from Proverbs that the generous person will be refreshed. And and, you know, and that is, I said, you nailed it. That is the model. So, um, you know, the person who tries to keep it tight in their hand, uh, you might call them scarcity thinkers. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to get it. Abundance thinkers are great. But what happens with people who are scarcity thinkers and they see abundance and they go like, uh, these people, there's a catch. There's, there's something they're trying to do. Um, yeah. It's called the law of reciprocation or karma or kismet, call it what you will. Yeah. But the more I give, the luckier I get in business development. And it's not necessarily the person I help, but my business is fueled by the four magic words in the English language. I know a guy. So when people say, you know, I've always wanted to write this book, but I don't know who to trust and all that. People say, I know a guy. You got to talk to this Henry DeVries. Uh, and that's so what is the best compliment you ever gotten? 
The best compliment I've ever gotten uh, is from my father. And uh, my father was an introvert and an immigrant and, you know, so language. But um, at family gatherings and everything, he once said, you know, every party needs somebody like Henry to make everyone else feel welcome. He, wow. uh, uh, he also said uh, another compliment from him to me was, um, you know, no matter what happens to Henry, he's got a plan B. He's always got a plan B. Uh, you know, he's, he's ready to go into action on, on something else. So I know you, you just share. Your dad was the first to get you to understand business, right? Yes. And he, you just mentioned about uh, the best compliment you ever gotten from him. How did these events help you keep going and shape you we are now? So, you know, for the first... Well, from six to 18, I'm spending every day in manure. I was being taught how to run a business, but I didn't know it. Um, so if you'll indulge me in another story. So Dutch dairy farm, you know, family. And um, when I'm eight years old, I'm I'm taken to grandpa, grandma and grandpa's house. And dad would be there. Yeah. And, um, they were talking about business. They were always talking about the business. And um, if I said anything or asked a question or anything, I was ignored like I wasn't even in the room. And okay. I thought, I thought, like, why am I here? You know, <laughs> it's like, why am I here? Well, when I was 18, my uh, uh, grandfather passed away, and there, oh, sorry, there was this, and and we went to Grandma's house, and Grand and my dad sat in the chair that Grandpa used to sit in, and I was instructed to sit in the chair where my dad sat. Yeah. And then things would come up and they would say, so, Henry, what do you think we should do on this? What's your advice? Weigh that. Yeah. And my family, you know, Dutch people don't talk emotions or anything, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing about, uh, well, there's been a change and how much we miss them. And, you know, your role has changed. There's no conversation yeah. like that. Um, but it took me. I thought like, oh. I'm now the consigliere in the family. <laughs> Father, I was like, oh, I'm that that was dad. He was the consigliere. Now, now, now he's that's your turn. Right? The, and, and the real Don was grandma, by the way, you know, because the, she controlled the money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so until she passed and you know, the, the chairs shifted again, yeah. you know, so I don't. Uh, yeah. So probably my daughter, Devin, who works at the company now, I, I've told her some of those stories and I've told her like, yeah, you're now in the consigliere chair, Devin. I'm asking you for your advice. Nice. You may not take it, but I'm always going <laughs> to listen to it. And, wow. And so let, let's go to there's a segment we call Hot Topic. Hot Topic is a segment where it's a fun segment where we ask questions uh, that relate to your uh, profession and where people would not have a chance to ask you. Let's go with Hot Topic now with Henry DeVries, um, with Divine Purpose Podcast on this episode.
So let's say we, they are doing an MRI on you. What would okay. your brain show as a writer? You wrote like more than 300 books, right? Yeah, so 300 books and, and that. And um, you're going to find a storyteller. And oh, wow. I was raised to be a storyteller. And I know that human brains are hardwired for stories. So I teach other people the importance of stories if you want to persuade them. And persuade is not manipulate. Persuade is how do you convince somebody to do something that's in their best interest? Yeah. And often it's with a story. Mm. So as a writer, what do you think is difficult to do? Um, the difficult thing about writing is to do it alone. And one of the things mm. I teach people that writing is a team sport. Um, you know, you either get a ghost writer to do it or you get a developmental editor to help you. A developmental editor is not one who corrects your grammar and punctuation. They help you develop the book. Okay. Um, so they're, that's what I do mostly is I'm a developmental editor these days. So I co-create books, but my name isn't on them. They, Their name is on the book because they're the content expert. The thing I advise people is don't go off to a mountain cabin and don't come. And then you don't come out until the book's done. I call that the misery approach. Yeah. After the Stephen <laughs> King novel and movie. You know, don't do that. Oh, I, know. Um, I, I, I have a good story on this. Uh, my wife, she, she finished a book and she was was upset because she was reading it and she, the book kind of kept her waiting but at the end of the day if the the author landed early she kind of have a sense of the book but she has to wait at the end so let's let's go on um another question okay which i know writing is fun um writing is a very rewarding in terms of um shaping the 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 next generation which on which on you you had the most joy doing if you oh, can recall did i have the most joy doing writing, yeah. well somebody asked me any once about um why you know why do you want to write books and i said i don't want to write books i have to write books i have to get it out from inside me it's almost like that movie alien you know <laughs> yeah. to get out so i can go on with the rest of my life um the uh um book I wrote the fastest is the last one, Marketing with a Book for Agency Owners, because I I really focused of all the consultants I helped, I liked them the most. They were the most appreciative. I really wanted to help them, but I was so busy running this company. When was I going to have time? Yeah. Don't uh, be careful what you pray for. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, I, I prayed for help. So I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm giving five workshops for CEOs on how to persuade with a story. On the last day, when I'm supposed to give a workshop and get on a plane and go home, I test positive for COVID. Okay. So I'm all alone, you know, far part of the country. Yeah. I call my, I, I have a VIP healthcare. I call them up and they said, we're going to get you a doctor. We'll get, we're going to get them to prescribe Paxlovid for you. Yeah. Um, you know, hunker down for five days in a hotel. Um, and I, 
I did that. And on day one, the Paxlovid had knocked down the COVID. Yeah. So I didn't feel horrible and I didn't want to watch TV or, you know, you know, I thought, oh, I'll just start writing my book. Five days later, that book was written. It was it was a love letter to agency owners and it was just from my heart all the best things that they can do to do more of that noble work that they're called and compelled to do yeah and the frustration for many of them i found out for two out of three the number one fear is not enough right fit clients And the second biggest fear is they don't have enough time to pursue business development. And a lot of people are depending on them to do the business development because, uh, you know, if they don't get clients, people don't eat. It's like the milk's going to be pouring out into the the gutter and it's going to go down the sewer and we've got no money for food. That's how the agency employees feel about you know, you need to get the clients for us. That's that's your job, agency owner. So that's that came out as a labor of love in five so, days. So let's talk about this in terms of um, where where do you see? Okay, how can you ca- categorize a good book? Like, is there a few things you can say? That is define a good book. Oh, I say something different than other people, Eddie. And here's I'm a little contrarian on this. A a great book follows one of eight great stories. Uh, Matter of fact, I met with some business leaders in 2014 in in L.A. and I'm in a high rise. And the the uh, the attorney, the managing partner of this big law firm afterwards took me in and said, you know, My grandpa was a producer in Hollywood in the 20s and 30s, and dad was a producer director in the 40s and 50s. Grandpa used to tell me we only make eight movies in Hollywood, and I never knew what he meant until you told me today. And every great book follows one of eight stories. It's either an overcoming the monster story. Oh, I studied the hundred greatest business books of all time. It's yeah. not just movies and plays. Um, Hollywood only makes eight movies. There's only mm-hmm. eight stories you should tell. It's either an overcoming a monster problem story. Yeah. It's a Cinderella rags to riches, David versus Goliath story. Yeah. It's a comedy solution or a tragedy solution. Comedy solutions are wacky ideas that work. All's well that ends well. Comedy of errors, Shakespeare, yeah. and then, or it's a tragic story, which is a cautionary tale about somebody who tried to take a shortcut against the laws of God, yeah. uh, the universe, well, nature. Man. Yeah. Oh, oh, Eddie. When I'm in California, I say the universe, and when I'm in the Midwest and the South, I say God. I'm bilingual. I can speak both languages. <laughs> there you go. Now, there's also the mystery story. Yeah. The quest for a prize story, the redemption, rebirth, comeback story, and then finally the escape, or I call it the escape from crazy town story. So I help people know that what is the overarching story you want to tell about your work? Mm. And then neuroscientists have proven that people don't make decisions with the logical part of their brain. They make decisions with the emotional part of the yeah. brain. And stories go straight to the emotion part. And I also teach people that your stories matter. Um, The world does not need another book on sales or marketing or leadership. Um, 
there's plenty of books to tell you all those things, diet and exercise, you know, what the world needs is your stories. Your stories will inspire and encourage them and show them the path and the plan of people who gotten, who got from where they were or are and where they want to go. And these stories, because sometimes people have these, you know, horrific comeback stories. And I go, you have to understand the world needs to hear that story. It's hard to get up and get out of bed every day for a lot of people. And a story like yours will give them lift and they'll be able to say, if they did that, I can do it. That's why I tell people about, I used to not tell people that I chose the wrong attorney and CPA and it cost me $75,000 and I could have wound up in prison if the IRS didn't believe me. Um, but I, I tell it because people go like, wow, okay, I've had some serious things happen. If that guy can come back from that, from this, yeah. I can come back too. Wow. Wow. Well said. Well said, Henry. So let's, let's conclude our time with um, our topic. We, we usually ask the guests to recommend three books to our audience and why. I don't think that's going to be an issue for you. um so uh and other than my books because a lot of people think oh this is where he's going to hawk his book and and if anybody buys my books eddie i'm happy to sign them if they buy two i go to their house and i read it to them but what i'm going to recommend are some other books um one is um, managing the professional service firm by David Meister. David Meister was a professor at the Harvard Business School. Yeah. Um, he generously, he's retired now, but he generously let me take one page from that book and create a 20 year career out of it. Wow. And I studied in depth um, what he was just. Well, that was it was his theory or hypothesis on one page. And I've done a 20 year, five million dollar research project to prove it. Uh, So that's one book, Managing the Professional Service Firm, David Meister. Um, He also has another one called The Trusted Advisor. That's really good. Um, The um, the Alan Weiss book about the million dollar consultant you know, um, it's just a different look. And the third book is uh, by Judy Carter, The Message of You. Um, A lot of people think being a professional speaker, well, there's a lot of really, you know, eloquent people who want to do that. There's an oversupply and there's an undersupply of speaking opportunities. Judy Carter blows that myth out of the water. She says, there is an oversupply of people who want to pay five to $10,000 for a speaker who is an expert and has a message that people need to hear. And they need these people to open or close a meeting and they need the people to laugh, to cry, to feel noble and to think. The thinking is the easiest thing, but we go to movies to feel emotions, all the feels as my uh, daughter says. Um, That's why Hollywood is the emotion picture capital of the world. Um, So, a paid speaker is to be an emotional lift and ride for the audience to open and close the meeting. And then they'll put all the boring people talking about the tax tariffs and the new way to fill out the reports and uh, the implications of 
you know, it was like that stuff goes in the middle, but you got to open or close and close with a bang. Wow. So we we got to the end of this great um, conversation with you, Henry. Um, last word for you. Uh, the last word is I say the number one marketing tool is a book. The number one marketing strategy is talking about the book. I also say publishing a book is the starting line, not the finish line. Because mm. what you need to do is create a book okay. that you love and get other people to love your book. Wow. Wow. So this is Eddie Dacius with Henry DeVries. And we definitely had a great time. And Henry, thank you for being here. You can listen to our podcast on all major platforms, wherever you listen to your podcast, or go online, www.dppodcast.com. Thank Eddie, you, Henry. do we have one minute for me to give two gifts to the listeners? Yes, go ahead. Okay, gift number one is I write for Forbes.com. And if any of your listeners wants to know how they could pitch me to write about them, I write 60 stories a year. Um, they could just send an email to Henry at IndieBooksintl.com. Just subject line Forbes, uh, mention Eddie, and I will give you the top secret instructions on how to have me consider writing about you for Forbes. Uh, the second thing is, if anybody wants uh, into my class, my $365 class where I cover uh, the seven questions you have to answer before you write a book. If you mention Eddie's name, I will give you a comp admission to that class and just send an email to me. Um, I want to be generous to Eddie's listeners. I appreciate it, Henry. So uh, definitely, I think people are going to reach um, and they have a good time in doing that. So Henry, we enjoy having you today. And I think our listeners, has a, uh, they have a lot to digest with this episode. 